0: This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Always delighted to be joined by our next guest from CBS News Colorado. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin Adams TV. He is, of course, Justin Adams, anchor uh, out there at CBS News. And uh, Justin, thank you for for joining us. Uh, a good day because the first practice. For the Broncos at training camp, uh, it will be on July 28th. That's a month from tomorrow. Uh, so we're talking about getting close to it now. The off season is essentially over. We wait for training camp. Now that Sean Payton is in charge, there's the expectation things will be different. But in the end, uh, it's still all about the players. Players still win games, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if you don't have the right players, it doesn't matter. I thought it was interesting. You know, I was doing some research and everything on the Broncos because, you know, you can see what you have from minicamp and everything, but it's always interesting to hear more from the coaches. And Kerry Colbert, who is the wide receivers coach, very interesting to say how he talks about how he loves, everybody always said they love their guys, but he really liked the veteran presence that he has in there. And obviously he was already talking about Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick coming back and Jerry Judy and whatnot. One guy he did not mention, and I do get that he is injured, is K.J. Hamler. At some point, there's going to be an odd man out when you talk about that room. And even though K.J. Hamler has a lot of speed and has a lot of potential, out of the time that he's been here as a Bronco, he's only played 23 games, somebody is going to be the odd man out, and K.J. Hamler could be that person.
0: It is K.J. Hamler. I mean, they drafted oh. basically they drafted the draft in as a replacement and yeah. Marvin Mims. I mean, it's basically the same guy, right? Yep. Oh, definitely. With a, yeah, uh, with a much time. better profile given uh, hands coming out of college.
1: Well, and, and the reality is it's only a much better profile, but – It's the guy that the new regime has picked up, right? It's not the old regime has picked up. That is extremely important. So, I mean, when you look at guys who are already going to be cut or already pretty much on the way out, that's definitely one of the players.
2: Justin, we've been hearing on that point about a playmaking revolution here in Denver uh, for at least the last three years and probably the last four, to be honest about it, and you might even extend it back further, although – Maybe that had to do in 2018, 2017, uh, more with uh, uh, new quarterbacks, uh, promising young quarterbacks emerging, and so on. But one of the reasons we haven't seen it is that in 2020, Sutton missed the season with a severe knee injury. Judy only took 412 snaps in 2021. Obviously, you had Patrick out last year, along with Javante Williams, with torn ACLs. Uh, Hamler's played, what, 23 games Mm -hmm. in in three years? I think I have that right. Yep. But Mm -hmm. the reality is that these people we talk about, Judy, Sutton, Patrick, Williams, have been on the field together for all of 164 out of 2,114 possible snaps in recent years. That's below 8%. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to ask you, and I talked about it in the first hour, and it's kind of a semi-open question for me. Do we give the Broncos, at the wide receiver or playmaking positions, do we give them the benefit of the doubt because these guys haven't played, or do we look at that and say, among Judy Sutton, Patrick and Williams, there's a pretty good chance that only three of those guys will be on the field come opening day, that Williams may not be ready. And this may just be the way things are that getting all four of them out for an extended period may never happen. And even if they do, we don't know if we have a quarterback here in Denver who can get them the ball.
1: Yeah. I go with the latter on that one. I mean, let's just put this in a context in different sports, right? Let's go with the last two years with the Nuggets before Jamal Murray came back. When he was injured, did anybody really care, especially nationally, did anybody really care that Nikola Jokic didn't have a sidekick? Nobody cared, right? How about this year with the Colorado Avalanche? Did anybody really care that their captain, Gabriel Landeskog, was not there in the postseason? Nobody cared. The reality is, is that, You go with the guys that you have on the field or on the court, right? And those are the people that you talk about, and those are the people that you care for. That's what the stats look like. To me, it doesn't matter. You have to go with the guys that you have. And health is a part of the game. Health is just a part of sports. And if you don't have all those guys together for one reason or another, then your backups and your other guys on the roster who made your 53-man roster have to be good enough, if not better, in order to pick up that production. But that's something that the front office has to have the foresight to be able to look at. You should be able to have the foresight to know, hey, these guys haven't played a lot for the last couple of years. So all this talent that we keep hearing about and when everybody's in shorts and T-shirts during minicamp and everything, when the lights come on during a regular season, those guys aren't there. That's just the reality of the situation. And you know what? In the NFL, you just have to move on and make sure you have the right guys in place to be successful because last year, your team only had 19.9 or 16.9 points per game. That was the worst in the NFL. You can't have that again this year and think that you're going to be a team that even thinks about going to the postseason.
2: Here's my follow-up, and, and, and I'm not disputing anything that was said about Cortland Sutton in terms of intangibles, leadership capabilities, and so on. But mm-hmm. here's, here's a pretty glaring set of facts. In the two years before his knee injury, Cortland Sutton had 10 gains of 40 yards or more. In the two years since his injury, the last two years, 2021 and 2022, he's had three, not 10, three gains of 40 yards or more. This isn't the same guy. Why would anyone assume that, you would get the guy of 18 and 19 for certain this year as opposed to the guy we've seen for the last two years?
1: That's a great question. And one of the main things I look at when uh, you look at his stats too is that he had the second most targets of his career last year and had the second most receptions. But when you look at the impact, there wasn't that much of an impact, only 13 yards per reception. And I know it seems like a lot, but it's not. But to me, here's the biggest thing about Cortland Sutton that really stuck out to me. Only 58% of the balls that come his way are actually caught. And you would think that that would be a little bit higher for somebody with that many targets. And that's kind of the point a little bit, too. We always talked about him, especially before his injury was the 50-50 balls. Man. He's going to catch everything. He's going to grab they, those 50-50 but, balls. But
2: they weren't 50-50 balls for him. They were 75-25, 80-20 balls maybe Higher percentage than that. But the last two years, that's kind of my point. They really yeah. have been 50 50 balls. And maybe not even that. Maybe he's only caught 40% of those 50 50 balls.
1: And that's part of it. You know, Sandy, you're saying it right there. That's part of the point because it's look, as a receiver, there is that mindset that if the ball's in the air, it's mine. And there's only a couple of times I could think of last year where the ball was in the air and Cortland Sutton came down with it. And that was part of the thing that. Before his injury, I could think about the Cleveland game where he was coming around with passes. I could think about the game where he's playing against the Los Angeles Chargers in Denver and a pass that was terrible by Drew Locke, and somehow he came down with it. And you looked and say, you know what? They don't have the right quarterback right now, <laughs> clearly. But when they do, this guy is going to be special. Well, you supposedly have. So, again, that, that's out there to be seen. But if you do or if you have somebody that's around that area, that you have to be the guy in order to come down with the football. Look, the reality is he got paid. He got paid, and he has to make something happen because this team has got to make moves one way or the other or they are found themselves in the same position they were last year.
0: So how much of this, and I I think you've you've alluded to it, Justin, the the idea that these guys haven't played together very often, um, how could it become impactful? I mean, you're looking at the best possible outcome. If these guys are all on the field at the same time, uh, how much better does it become for the Broncos, or is that bit of an uh, overrated situation because it doesn't really matter that much whether they're together or not? Are, are we really even talking apples to apples in that case?
1: It's, apple to, it's apples to apples from a wide receiver uh, perspective, from a wide receiver position, and this is the main reason why. We look at a guy like Greg Dulcich, for example, right? Tight end, not exactly the best blocker in the world, but you saw an immediate pop when he was on the field. Played 10 games, had 33 receptions, and two touchdowns, but there was an immediate pop. You knew when he was on the field. We're talking about a guy who's going into a sixth season. I understand it's a brand-new quarterback. I, I get all that. We know about what happened, even with Demarius Thomas and Peyton Manning, um, from the get-go, right? It wasn't exactly there immediately, but it did happen early on in the season where there We're was a pretty, pop. Pretty
2: quickly, yeah.
1: Right. Well, the same thing right now with Courtless Sutton and Russell Wilson. And I get it. You can look at saying, well – the offense that he had and Nathaniel Hackett was terrible. But there were times where you had an opportunity to move the change. You had an t- opportunity to get the ball. And you know what happened? Nine times out of ten, you were going back to the sideline and the punt team was coming back on the field because you didn't make a play. That's something that you have to take ownership of. And I get it. You could talk about all the time you have in the world. Guys, we're, we're talking about June 27th right now. If you're worried about this consistency, if you're worried about um, are these guys on the same page, will they get on the field and do what you have to do in order to get on the same page so that once you get into training camp, you're ready to roll. Once you get into the regular season, you're able to make plays. Because if not, and this is just to be very honest, if not, you're just making a lot of excuses. And this game is not about making excuses. It's about making plays.
2: Speaking of that, let's get to the quarterback question uh, and – and address it this way. Last year, Russell Wilson, among 33 qualifying quarterbacks, was 27th in expected points added per dropback. There has been a suggestion that if he improved from 27th to 12th, 13th, 14th, the Broncos are a playoff team, or at least a playoff contender, do you buy either one, both, or neither one? And by both, I mean the idea that you could reasonably expect him to improve that much from 27th to twelve, thirteenth, 13th, or 14th, which is above average, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the idea that, let's say he does do that, are the Broncos a playoff contender?
1: Yes. Yeah, they're a playoff right. up Russell Wilson plays better. 100%. They're oh, a playoff but
2: That team. much, but only that much better. If he goes from 27th right. to 20th, doesn't work. No, no. Right? You, you, you have to be one of the
1: top, what, 12 quarterbacks? Um, that would in, be. In that yes. Yeah, be that.
2: One of the top 12. And I just don't see him going from 27th to 12th. Wow. I, 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 I don't. I'm not saying he'll go from 27th to 30th. Mm -hmm. He, He may even break into the top 20, but you're talking about generally year in and year out. 32, 33, 34 quarterbacks who play enough to qualify. And he was 27th out of 33 last year. I, I, I just, that that's, That's a transformation. I understand in his other years, most of the time in Seattle, uh, yeah, through 21, he was around that 12, 13, 14 area. But Mm -hmm. I I just don't see him getting back ever to what he was in Seattle. And and you're saying you see a chance for that.
1: I I do see a chance only because of the head coach, but I I think this is what happens a lot of time in sports is that – He came into this where the expectation was so high, and and don't get me wrong, it wasn't us really that said it, it was he who said it, where things are so high for the team and for himself that we all thought that, hey, it may not be a Peyton Manning type of transformation that he's going to have for this team. But this should be at least looking at the postseason.
2: Pretty well, close. what we
1: got was a guy who had career low completion percentage at sixty percent. Good God, sixty percent, and career low in touchdown passes at sixteen touchdown passes. Right, and a guy who looked sluggish, falling all over himself uh, when he played against the Houston Texans. A guy who was clearly out of shape. Well, what happened? There's been a different commitment to his body now. He's lost a lot of weight. He's able to move around a little bit more. But I believe that Sean Payton will also use the running game in order to get him going, too. Just give him some easy passes, some easy things for him to do, and also to help him roll out for him to be able to be successful. I just think you can hang on one or two different things. You hang on early on in the season, which was the lion's share of the year, where he looked terrible. like He just looked garbage. It is what it is. And you are 100% right on that. Or do you hold on to the last couple of games when Nathaniel Hackett is out the door and he looked like a pretty good quarterback? I mean, we understand you didn't get the win at Kansas City, but he looked sufficient in that game. And then you think look at the last game of the season against the Chargers, albeit it is the last game of the year, and you say, wait a minute, this guy, actually this is a guy who could win you games, right? This is a guy who could roll out and throw a deep pass to Jerry Judy, right, as he's running and look great doing so. So for me... I'm going to say he's the latter guy um, because I'm a hopeful person. <laughs> Look, I'm a Colorado Buffalo fan. Okay, I'm a buff, a love too. So that means I'm always a hopeful guy. But I will say this is that I believe he'll be the latter quarterback. I do not believe he will be top 12. There are a lot, a lot of really good quarterbacks yeah, now. just in the, uh, yeah, just in the
2: a- I'm not sure he'll be 12 in the AFC. I mean that right. that that's a shot. I, but, I take that back, but you no, get the no. idea. <laughs>
1: Well, it's well, one the NFL. Well, I could say yes. Be, yes, I know, I know what like you that. mean.
2: I know yeah. what you mean. I'm yeah, trying to I be a wise guy.
1: That. No, no, no. no. You're not being a wise guy. You're just being a person who's tired of seeing the Broncos being terrible for the last seven years. That's what you are. Well, <laughs>
2: and, you know, and we'll get back to what we were talking about earlier and just quickly. But yeah. it, just we, we've been sold a bill of goods. And we were saying before we brought you on, to me, the best thing that the Broncos have going for them now is an ownership group that last year was sold a bill of goods. Right. Right. So they know how the fans feel. Maybe they haven't experienced it as often over the last six years, but they certainly know what it feels like to be sold a bill of goods and be told exactly what you're saying now about their prospects for 2023. They were even more enthusiastic in 2022, and the owners at the end of the year are looking up at 5 and 12 and saying, what happened? And probably saying that many times during the season, too. Well,
1: you know, it was so funny because remember, like, the, the, you know, Twitter pictures and everything, Sierra and Russell Wilson, meeting with the new ownership group after the trade, and then here comes this huge contract. And we're like, wow, what a great move and everything. Things are going in the right direction. And then they start playing football. And in the Seattle game, you can make the argument things were actually going well. The most yards the team had all year, right, under Nathaniel Hackett just had a couple of fumbles at the goal line. So you walked away from that game saying, you know what? If they didn't make the boneheaded decision on a field goal, they would have been fine, right? And then you look at the rest of the season, and it was slowly but surely like, wait a minute. Everything that we believe going into the year was incorrect. I think for us, too, we have to make sure we have cleaner eyes this year. And we look at these, this team and say, okay, let's be sure to judge them properly on who they are from preseason on. Who is this team uh, from training camp on? Who is this team? And we've got to find out about that uh, sooner because if they don't, I mean, and, and, well, to me, and I look at their first two games of the season too, like you have two extremely winnable games against uh, the Raiders and also against Washington. So you look at this team and say, can they get off to a good start and can they keep things going? Because if not, then we're going to see the same thing that we saw from last year, unfortunately, and hopefully that's not so. So hopefully things really change quickly.
0: He is Justin Adams. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin Adams TV, and of course, catch him over there at CBS News Colorado. Uh, it's going to be obviously a very, very interesting training camp in about a month. And uh, of course, as we find out, uh, since you mentioned it, about the uh, successful, apparently successful surgeries for Coach Deion Sanders up in Boulder, uh, that's coming soon enough, too. So uh, football season will be upon us, and it's going to be exciting on a couple fronts. Looking forward to catching up with you uh, sooner than then, but uh, certainly we're excited for football season. Uh, both in the collegiate and the pro side, talking with you about them both.
1: It's going to be a lot of fun, fellas. Enjoy this time of year because it's going to be great. Buffs, Broncos. Um, I, I don't remember the last time I've been excited for uh, two teams, to be very to be very honest with you. So it'll be really good, guys.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Justin. Appreciate it. All right. Be blessed. And they are certainly both in sort of the rebuilding 67 phase. days to Fort Worth, by the way. And right. And you's opener with Texas A&M. Let me... Back Justin up a little bit because I have an interesting stat from Pro Football Focus as to why there is reason to believe that yeah. Russell Wilson's performance uh, could bounce back in one of the more notable ways that was a problem last year. I'll explain next on my life sports. Steam along the way. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law.
1: Hire the winner at burnhamlaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy.
0: We just talked to Justin Adams of CBS News and talked about how possibly he believes that Russell Wills could get quite a bit better, move all the way up to maybe 12th in the league. And I think, I actually think, I know he was just kind of, you know, putting that up there, but I think that. Uh, Justin maybe did find a pretty realistic line of demarcation. If you want to be a playoff team, you probably probably have a dop, dop dozen quarterback in the league realistically, so I think that's a, a relatively realistic goal. Looking at the way the Broncos pressures, and that includes all their sacks occurred last year. Over you had to Take pro football focus numbers by that, and these are uh, some of the numbers that they added uh, post-season when you could take a second look at everything. I think was kind of revealing. Now, when you look at Pressures, uh, basically they had sacks that were blamed on the quarterback themselves. Russell Wilson was tied with Josh Allen and Geno Smith for fifth most in the league, behind Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Justin Fields, and Jalen Hurts. That probably sounds about right. right. But when you break it down and they actually go and look at what percentage of the dropbacks were the responsibility of the quarterback. In other words, holding on too long with the lineman or or whoever's blocking, they went by each lineman position, an inline tight end, or even uh, another position if there was a a failed block by a running back. Now, then it also sort of fits with what you see. Tied with 33.9% of their pressures by the quarterback themselves, Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. Sounds about right. Brock Purdy was at 29.7. He was next up of guys that made significant starts. Uh, You could go down to rookie Desmond Ritter, that would be next, then Hurts, then you get to Justin Fields, then Jimmy Garoppolo, Kenny Pickett, another rookie, Patrick Mahomes, not a surprise there, 21.2%. But you get now into the Josh Allen of 18.8%, Aaron Rodgers of 17.3%, Russell Wilson was in between them at 179
2: in terms of sacking, in, in terms of pressures, being pressures, basically self inflicted. So, lack inflicted of a better pressures. term,
0: right. by, by holding the ball too long. Now, you look at that, you think the, with the eye test, you're like, well, how could that be? Russell definitely held onto the ball too long, which he did. At the same time, when you're assigning responsibility, most of the time, the offense, the, one of the five offensive linemen was responsible for that pressure 75.7% of the time. The interesting part about it is how obvious it became to attack the Broncos. If you look at the inline tight end rate, it was only 5.2%, which is actually in the lower 3rd thinking that's not because Greg Dulcich or Albert Okuwebinom or anybody else was particularly adept at blocking, and you'd probably be right. It's because the Broncos' offensive line was so porous that there wasn't much of a concern. Across the the positions, and and we understand who played these the majority of the time, but they just went by position. The left tackle gave up that pressure 19.7% of the time. The right tackle gave it up 19.7% of the time. Yikes. <laughs> you can just go right at him if you're an edge rusher. In other words, the left guard, man who still has not been signed around the NFL, 18.5%. Terrible. Now, the bright side is the two best in surrendering pressure are two of the returnees. That would be the right guard, primarily Quinn Miners. 12.7%. That's still not great. You want to be under 10.
2: If you're a guard, you want to be under 10.
0: Lloyd Cushenberry at 9.2%, which surprisingly, again, given Cushenberry's weaknesses in blocking at times, was in the bottom third. Now, again, that also may have to do with the fact that why bother worrying about Cushenberry when you can run right over either of the Broncos' tackles? Because the Broncos across and the board... At and at least one of the And guards. at least one of the guards. Because when you look at those rates... Those are, those are bad rates across the board. When you go uh, to teams that had surrendering you know, uh, more than 20% of their pressures and it's on the left tackle, not surprisingly, that's a lot of them. And actually, Bulls in that ratio ends up being rather average. But the right tackle rate is awful. And the guard rate, when you're talking about being around that 20%, is awful. And and when you're talking about the guys that surrendered those sort of of rates, you're talking about quarterbacks that they were guarding, say, uh, Matthew Stafford or Kyler Murray or Derek Carr. That's the level. So what it really kind of shows, if you're looking for optimism, is that despite the fact the offensive line was poor, and that wasn't a secret either, some of the flaws that maybe appeared to be on Wilson as he rolls out and holds onto the ball, also maybe pressured out a little sooner than before, and some of that does sort of pass the eye test. The Broncos invested a lot of money, most of their money in the offseason, in a new right tackle and a new left guard. Given those numbers, those would appear to be very, very good investments. Given the, the average performance of the position, the left guard position for the Broncos was by far the least effective when it comes to give, pass protection last year. By far. Probably a reason why Dalton Reisner is still unsigned. Yeah because other teams know that as well. Uh, the right tackle, not good. Blindside tackle, there's obviously a lot more pressure. The Broncos invested in the two weakest spots in their offensive line. There's reason to believe that Miners will get better. There's reason to believe that Cush and Barry, who apparently has put on more weight, will certainly not at least get worse. If Garrett Bowles can play a little bit better, even though he was averaged by this metric last year, the Broncos could have much better performance, which may lead to a better performance by Wilson, because at least the numbers indicate that while Wilson did take a lot of sacks, not all those pressures, in fact, a rather league-average version of those pressures, just slightly higher than average, were actually because of his functions holding the ball. The bottom line to me is
2: that when you look at the passing success rate metric, they were last. Uh, Right.
0: and In the end, they're not succeeding.
2: To what you're getting at, In the last few minutes, that can't be attributable, unless you're into scapegoating, to one individual or even one position. But last is last. Passing success rate, you're 32nd out of 32 teams. What I'm saying is the idea that that would improve from 32nd last to middle of the pack is unrealistic. I also think Russell Wilson proving from 27th in expected points added per drop back last year to 12th this year, or even 13th or 14th is a projection that I find at best unrealistic and at worst ridiculous. Uh, I I, I just, (laughs) so all those guys between 27th and 12th who were there last year, they're all going to, Step back so that he can step over, not just four or five people, but more than a dozen yeah. quarterbacks, and they're all going to get worse. That's the challenge. So that's some of that's these guys will it, not
0: everyone will will get worse. And
2: I think there is a tendency to attribute all of their problems last year to the head coach, and. The last two games they played without the head coach one, a very small sample size, and two, essentially meaningless games for the team on the other side of the ball, not just the Broncos, but the, the Broncos season was long gone. But to even the teams they were playing at the end of the year, Kansas City and the Chargers, the last two games. More than one thing can be true. Uh, Hackett, I thought was more of a problem than anyone else last year within the organization. But George Payton gets a chunk of the blame. Russell Wilson gets a chunk of the blame. There are others, but you get the idea. 100% of the blame can't be cast on one guy, and especially after he's gone. I suspect this may continue into the season if the Broncos struggle. Well, it's the after effects of the 15 games coached last year in the regular season by Nathaniel Hackett. That Wilson has so much to unlearn from the Nathaniel Hackett experience that expecting him to get back to 2021 levels even right away is unrealistic. And that's Nathaniel Hackett's fault for screwing him up some. So I, I'm I'm a little resistant to that particular notion being put out there that whether you're in doubt or not particularly in doubt, just blame Nathaniel Hackett for the whole thing.
0: And look the 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 reality is. That that could very well happen. I think there are certainly apologists, but and there's always apologists inside an organization because that's their job. It's called PR. But the fan base, I think I and we talked about it at the beginning of the show, Sandy. I think you're right. And I'd I like to see it. And look, I have talked about that. I was I was born and, and, and raised here. You know, the Broncos have been a team I've watched since I was a child. And I understand for longtime fans who are used to the Broncos being generally a successful team. It can be difficult to look at it and say, well, what, what is going on? Has it been this bad? Well, it has been hubris. It has been, uh, uh, ego. It has been a a failure to, to really put in some of the, the the hard work in many different cases that have the Broncos in the worst stretch they've been in as an NFL franchise. And the presumption it is just sort of a, History, right? Well, you know, you talk about commonality and causality is that the Broncos haven't been this bad for this long. Therefore, it'll bound to turn around soon. And it'll be good. Okay, well, that's not really the, any reason. Now, I do believe in this case, the new ownership group is disappointed at best, frustrated at worst with what they purchased, and didn't realize, you know, they bought the house that looked really nice on the outside and when they got in. You're like, oh man, we have to replace everything in here. And they started doing exactly that. But this isn't going to be a quick fix. Even Sean Payton talked about being at base camp when climbing Mount Everest. Right. And that unfortunately means that, if, that even though they put a lot of their eggs in, in the Russell Wilson basket, Russell Wilson himself might not be here by the time this thing turns around, whenever it is. And that's an important part to consider for Broncos fans, too. The, the idea that a magic wand's going to get waved over, and Corlin yeah. Sutton has had injuries histories, and, and Tim Patrick has an injury history, and Jerry Judy, who's been injured, and Greg Dulcich, who's been injured, and KJ Hamlers, who's been injured, and Marvin Mims, who's injured right now, and yeah. Javante Williams, who's been injured, and, and Quinn Miners, who's been injured, and Garrett Bowles, who's been injured, and... Russell Wilson has been injured. Are we getting the hint here? Yeah. They're all going to all of a sudden get healthier and play at their very best simultaneously? They're all going to play 17 games. I mean, are you kidding?
2: They're going to play and start 17 it's games. It's a fool's oh, errand. Of course they're not.
0: And oh, even yeah, if they not. did, you play in a yeah. division with the right. Chiefs and the Chargers. And in an AFC, that is loaded. Aaron Rodgers just came to the Jets. I don't even know how much of an impact that's going to make yet, but I know it makes the Jets better, a lot better. Josh Allen is still with the Bills. The Bills are still pretty good. Uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals, I think, are the second best team in the entire conference. Lamar Jackson is back with a new deal. The Jacksonville Jaguars are coming quick under Doug Peterson, who's a quarterback coach that you might have argued the Broncos should have grabbed instead of Nathaniel Hackett. I might have actually said that been, myself. That <clears throat> would have been
2: my choice. Yep, we talked uh, about it. We talked about it. But yes, by name. Yep. Specifically by been name. The guy. I happen to be a Doug Peterson fan. And... I think we saw last year, though he wasn't the coach of the year, that deservedly went to Brian Dable. Uh, Brian Dable was the other guy we liked. Right. (laughs) Yes, it was the two. It was those two. Doug Peterson, and Brian Dable were the two guys we liked.
0: And uh, they Uh, both find their teams in their playoffs, and the Denver Broncos did not. And they
2: were the two best coaches
0: in the league. The reality is there are simply too many things for the Denver Broncos to put together all in this season to be legitimate playoff contenders. Now, could it happen? Sure. Could Patrick Mahomes get hurt? Sure, could all sorts of crazy things happen across the... Of course, it happens every year. But that's really what the Broncos are hoping for, not that they're turning into a, yeah, a 10 at I, 7, I, I 11 so. and 6 team. They're hoping to maybe go 9 and 8 and, and get lucky and win a tiebreaker and sneak into the, the I, wild card. I really think and that's the absolute I, max. I, I think
2: 10-7 with a tiebreaker is probably the baseline. Uh, I can't imagine a 9 and 8 team uh, in, in, in a conference... This strong making it. Now, listen, we thought the AFC West would be excellent last year, and it, and it wasn't. really wasn't. Nope. And we thought the Chiefs could be vulnerable, and they, of course, were not vulnerable within the division. And even outside of the division, they got back to where they had been. And I think they were probably, in many ways, a better team last year than they were in, in 2019. I mean, that much younger in 2019. Uh, I think when you look at strictly wide receiver, tight end, and running back, those positions around the league, how strong they are, Kansas City's in the lower half of the league, excluding quarterback. (laughs) Excluding quarterback, but, but that's what Bill Barnwell did this week. Right. In rating teams by strength at skill positions other than quarterback, and I think uh let me see if I uh, have it here uh, real quick because I know we got a break. He had San Francisco number one, for example, Cincinnati number two. He had in the upper quarter of the league the Chargers. He had in the second quarter of the league Las Vegas. He had on the upper end of the third quarter of the league Kansas City, and of the four teams in the AFC West, he had Denver 24th. 24th, and and Kansas City was 19th. That's the closest. Raiders, 11th. Chargers, 5th. Just saying. Just saying. And that's not a prediction uh, that the Broncos will finish last. It's just, I think, a very realistic assessment of their current abilities and we're not even talking about russell wilson and the problems he had last year
0: not yet at least the big news of the day alex newhook traded from the avalanche for two picks in the 30s to the montreal canadiens we'll touch base on that and see what it means for the avs next on my life sports This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Over at Superbook Sports, they're changing the game. Help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook, the most trusted game in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use the promo code Mile High, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. That means win or lose. Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code Mile High. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code Mile High, and you'll get $250. Courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Sandy, earlier today, the Avalanche, uh, no other way to put it, I think, give up on Alex Newhook. Flip him to Montreal for the 31st and 37th picks in this draft, along with a a prospect, uh, Gianni Fairbrother, who uh, is likely to be more of a career ahl -er and perhaps a fill-in from time to time. It is really for those picks. The Avs could flip them. Or the Avs uh, may be able to keep them. They are picking, as as you noted when we talked about this before the show, three picks in roughly the same area of which the Denver Nuggets selected their three yeah. in the draft last week. I don't expect them to get quite as much out of those three picks yeah. as the
2: Nuggets got out of their three picks. Certainly not immediately because it's totally different sports, but, but yes. Yes. Um, I think it's a sign that... The Avalanche, as Stanley Cup champions, two years removed, are going to start making demands of their players that may be a little more obvious than we might have anticipated. Uh, Yesterday, we talked a lot about Alex Newhook and his prospects for staying with his team long-term. And I didn't think they were necessarily great. Little did I know they'd trade him the next day. Right. So they reached the conclusion that I came to yesterday. I suspect they reached by the end of the season at the latest. And by the end of the season, I mean the end of the playoff. Right. The playoff run. Right. Yeah. I think they had felt the need maybe to move him uh, for salary cap reasons in many ways, but also for the fact that he didn't produce. And I think they became convinced that had to happen when they looked at his ice time in in the playoff series, which uh, we can present tomorrow. We don't have time enough today to get. But into but it, but, it, but
0: roughly, it dropped but it from dropped. the regular season it, it numbers. Dropped. Despite the it fact dropped. they needed more from and the guys that it, were going to be stars, because
2: it, in in this particular playoff series anyway, there's a fair amount of special teams play, and he doesn't play on
0: the power plane, doesn't
2: kill no. penalties.
0: That's so that's that's his total part. time on ice was reduced. That's I, I think when you look at it, you think about Newhook and you think about that 16th overall selection that he was, and and all the the, the hype that he came with. It really is important to note when you look at players like that, what special teams roles do they have? He had no role on a penalty kill, and he had no role on a power play. When you're only going to be a five
2: avalanche, so to speak, of injuries.
0: And when you're only a five-on-five player, you're expendable. It's just that simple. You are expendable because when you can only play five-on-five, in the end, what you're doing is you're forcing better players than you to play more minutes have more ice time, and over the course of a, of a regular season of playoff run, it weighs you down. It you does. want that to be democratized across your entire roster that these guys at least have a role. Even your fourth liners, even your your, your Logan O'Connors, they, they have a role on the penalty kill. They have other roles besides five on five. Newhook didn't. He couldn't carve one out.
2: Let's take that player. By the end of the year, who was more valuable to the Avalanche? O'Connor. Logan O'Connor, Alex Nolan. O'Connor.
0: O'Connor It's not even close. I don't even have the stats in front of me, but I, so, I
2: watched it. Given what you would have to pay Newhook as a restricted free agent, here's the fundamental conclusion. The Avalanche didn't feel he'd be worth paying as an unrestricted free agent. They didn't think his worth measured up to that. And in a hard cap sport, you can't afford to pay anybody more than they're worth. Certainly not appreciably more than they're worth. You can't cheat that way because once you start down that road, even if it's only two, three, four hundred thousand a year more than you think that player is worth, once you start down that road, you're in big trouble, and you're going to lose players a hell of a lot more valuable than Alex Newhook ever was to the Colorado. I looked. Out. I just
0: looked at it during the playoffs. Uh, Newhook in his seven games had one assist, was minus three, and played. 915 in average ice time per game. Nine fifteen. So
2: that's when I said nine to eleven minutes without looking at well, that. Well, right. I, I was remember, right.
0: He played thirteen in the regular season. He dropped I understand he dropped a was, full that third. Was,
2: that's my argument. Yeah, he only played his time. I wish I had made it more strongly yesterday. Yeah, so he no, only so.
0: made played two thirds of the minutes. And when you look at the nine fifteen, the guys below that that actually played in all seven games, mind you, by the way. So we're not we're not going to talk about Uh, Ben Myers we're not going to talk about Darren Helm or Brad Hunt you're talking about only the only player that played in all seven games that had fewer minutes average time on ice was Dennis Malkin he had 738 Newhook
2: had 915 and I'm
0: sorry Malkin was a disaster no points minus three no points minus three
2: he was beyond that
0: but at least Malkin took seven shots Newhook took four in seven games, how are you a scorer if you can't even get a shot off? To say
2: the Avalanche became disenchanted with Alex Newhook as the season progressed would be the understatement of the He's only
0: twenty-two. Year. I'm not giving up on the on the on the player necessarily, and I actually I I like now Alex Newhook. I have no beef with him. I hope it works out. They do not I have, hope have the works luxury out, of waiting. They can't wait. They can't wait. And in the end, that's really what it boils down to. The absolute no, this past year,
2: did they have the luxury of waiting yep. for him to come on, come sure. on, come on? Yeah. defending champs. And
0: he never did. Right. He never did. In fact, he actually had a worse season. Dropped right. quite a bit right. across the board. I so went over that earlier in the show. last
2: year, as defending champions, they had the luxury. They had the luxury of waiting on him. And this upcoming year, they don't. And so, they're not going to wait on him at all. He's traded before. The first week
0: of summer in. Right. The draft starts tomorrow in the NHL. The Avs now have to, with 27, 31, and 37 in those picks, they could package those to move up, or they may very well do what a lot of teams have been doing. This This offseason has been replete with teams making trades for pending restricted free agents. In other words, finding, look in Montreal's case, finding a restricted free agent with the Avalanche, the Avalanche weren't going to resign. So, in Montreal's case, they throw a pick over there, and we buy ourselves about a week to see if we get him signed before we have to... You're basically buying yourself a week of of time to sign the guy before he hits free agency. That's really what that trade is. But the Avs can do that, too. And my guess here, Sandy, is the Avs will do that with one of those picks and probably go get a restricted free agent off of somebody else yeah, that true. they think will be a better fit and maybe even a second-liner. We will find out. Of course, thanks to Justin Adams for joining us, breaking down some news with the Broncos. The first training camp practice you can go to is a is a month from tomorrow, so going to come up real quick. Break all that Broncos stuff down with us. Always good to talk to Justin. Uh, Danny Bailey is the man in the booth that makes all of it work. Thanks to all of you who uh, either catch us over the air or on MileHighSports.com. You can watch it or listen to it. And by the way, if you missed any of the we gave all those numbers and stats with Alex Newhook, if you missed it you can go to email my dot, uh, dot com or go to the free my life sports mm-hmm. app. You can download it and check it out at your convenience. Like you can with every show. And very quickly, Sean, I want to
2: uh, add uh, again, a note of thanks. We have, um, a uh, lot of people listening from outside, not only the state, but the region. Yeah. And I'm hearing from them all the time and, uh, they deserve a shout out. We appreciate it. And, uh, We have, uh, I think, better days ahead, too.
0: I think so. I think so, for sure. It is going to be an interesting time for both the Avs and Nuggets. Of course, remember, we didn't get a chance to touch on them, but NBA free agency starts on Friday with Bruce Brown's uh, future looming in that. Maybe we'll talk about that. Hey, it's Rockies Dodgers Dodgers at the old ballpark That's That's cool. (laughs) For Sandy, (laughs) I'm Sean. We'll catch you tomorrow. Keep it right here on Mile High Sports.